I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, entrepreneur, and professor at the Yale School of Management. His new book is Split the Pie, a radical new way to negotiate. Negotiation is stressful. It can bring out the worst in people. Wouldn't it be better if there were a principled way to negotiate? Wouldn't it even be better if there were a way to treat people fairly and get treated fairly in a negotiation? Barry Nailbuff does just that via a simple, practical method that reveals the true powers of the players and what they bring to the table. He offers a theory-based and field-tested approach to negotiation, illustrated with examples and in-depth case studies. The PIE framework also works for everyday negotiations. You'll learn how to deploy PIE, PIE, your PIE, a logic to determine truly equitable solutions and employ empathy to expand the pie and sell your solution. Barry is the Milton Steinbeck professor at Yale School of Management, where he has taught for over 30 years. His ventures include Honest Tea, Kombucha, and Choose Health. Welcome to the show, Barry. Nice to have you on today. Thanks. I guess today I can be a professor with a perch. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, okay. Uh, I guess one of the things or the first question is, we are right in the midst, I mean, your book is very timely, in the midst of negotiations uh, with big time superpowers and all the political stuff that's happening in the Ukraine and the Soviet Union, right? So um, do they, and why aren't they using your book? Why aren't they using your approach? I mean, you just wrote the book, but this is something I'm that you've been talking about before the book came out. So do they need to read your book and use it in their negotiation, split the pie? Well, I'm not sure that (laughs) Putin is interested in negotiation. Uh, He has other objectives that uh, are really a question of what he can achieve through military force. So uh, it's possible that there's a negotiated solution, uh, but it's also possible that he doesn't care and Uh, That's one of the challenges. One of the lessons that I share from Bill Urey, co-author of the well-known Game TS, is you have to think about writing the victory speech for the other side. And one of the huge challenges we face right now is it's not clear how this can be framed as a victory for Putin. And I'm not trying to support him, help him. I want this to end. And... In order for that to end, he has to be willing to have it end. And that means finding some way for him to think of this as a success. So, given that, uh, as I'm listening to it, it doesn't seem like there's too much hope for that kind of a negotiation between him and the Ukraine. I don't want to get into a whole political situation, but I'm, I guess we could take this example, I guess, and don't these kinds of situations occur just in everyday life, too, when we're talking about negotiating, whether you're negotiating in business or negotiating a marriage or, uh, you know, in your book, you talk about all kinds of situations. Maybe we should... No, no, they don't. I mean, when I negotiate with my dean for a salary, if we don't reach an agreement, he doesn't pull out a gun and shoot me. And that's why. So I think we should get our heads around that most negotiations are nothing like a a war or a battle. That's the wrong framework to be thinking about. 
Okay. But that's the framework. Do you think that many people are at, come into a supposed negotiation with that kind of a framework, that kind of a paradigm or definition? Uh, absolutely. Divor- they, I'm thinking about divorce. You know, 50% of the people get divorced in our country, and I guess they can remarry, and another 60% get divorced again. But that has to do with negotiation. Some of them do come in and shoot each other. So there are those kinds of, uh, that kind of a situation in our everyday negotiations. Mm-hmm. But I would say those are failed negotiations. Okay. And again, people uh, bring a lot of emotions to negotiation. One of the things I try and do in this book is add some logic. There's an expression, fight fire with fire, but as Smokey the Bear will tell you, you want to fight fire with water. And when somebody escalates, your goal is to find a way to de-escalate. And actually, we saw that in the case of President Biden. When Putin talked about moving to higher nuclear alerts, Biden did not respond in kind and said, said, you know, it's okay. We don't have to worry about this. There's no need for us to escalate as well. That's, yeah, that's a great example. Um, so then what is the negotiation pie and why does it matter? Let's get into that. I think, and it's funny to say this, that most people are confused about what they're negotiating over. And as a result, they make arguments that sound fair to them, but aren't really justified. So I know that sounds a bit abstract. Uh, Let me give you a simple example using a pizza, if I may. Alice and Bob have a 12-slice pizza to divide up if they can agree on how to divide it up. If they can't agree... I'm going to say arbitrarily that Alice can get four slices and Bob can get two. And so the question is, how should they divide up the 12? And most people give one of two answers. They say either just divide it six and six, or they say Alice is twice as strong as Bob because Alice will get four slices and Bob will get two if there's no deal. Therefore, Alice should get eight and Bob should get four. And I think both of those perspectives are misguided. That what they're really negotiating over is getting from the six slices, the four plus two, they would get if there's no deal, up to the 12. And to get those extra six slices, Alice and Bob are equally essential. If Bob walks away, they're gone. If Alice walks away, they're gone. Thus, you divide those three and three, which means Alice gets her four plus three or seven, and Bob gets his two plus three or five. Okay, I'm trying to, that's I'm it. going, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I know that's in your book and I had read that, but okay. So then every, that's, that, that's what you call, uh, is that a fair negotiation or uh, because, uh, or so I we think be, what's fair yeah, ends talk, up becoming yeah. self-evident once you correctly understand what you're negotiating over. People will make arguments about fairness when they're talking about the 12 slices, but that's miscasting the reason for the negotiation. And once you recognize the negotiation is really over six slices, then you realize that since both parties are equally essential, they're equally powerful, and the only fair outcome is to divide it three and three. Okay, so how do you start the negotiation? All right, give us another example. How would you start in a situation where people are trying to negotiate or approaching a negotiation? How do you prepare for it, and how do you start it? Yeah. Uh, A lot of people start negotiations by talking about price, and I think that's a big mistake. A better approach is to talk about interests. What is it you're trying to achieve? What are your hopes and dreams? I think even better 
is to start the negotiation with a discussion of how it is we'll negotiate. Our objective is to create a big pie and split it. Can we agree on that? Because if we can resolve the conflict part of how we're going to divide the pie, then we can focus all of our attentions on the cooperative part, the collaborative part of making the pie big. So how now that do may you sound a bit of, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, you said, I think you were going to say it sounds a bit abstract. That may sound it. a bit abstract, uh, but I'm happy to give an example yeah, uh, give where, examples, uh, how my mother used a, this. Yeah, give us an example of that. My mother was living in a rental house in Florida where she'd been for 10 years. And Florida has now become a hot real estate market with work from home. And so her landlord sends her an email saying, I'm putting your, the house up for sale. I, I'm going to list it for 800000 but I'm happy to sell it to you for 790 because you've been a good tenant. So he's starting the negotiation off, I think the wrong way, just talking about price. So the first question here is, what is the pie? And a lot of people think the pie is somehow the price of the house. But my view is there's a market price for the house. The pie in this particular case is the fact that they can save a 5% real estate agent commission which on 800000 is about $40,000. And so I write back and say, look, the reason for us to do this deal with you is that we can save a broker fee. That if you sold a house at 800000 anybody else, you get seven sixty. If my mother were to buy the equivalent house from anybody else, she'd have to pay eight hundred. And so let's take that 40000 and agree to split it. And he writes back and says, well, it's a hot market. So I'm entitled to more of that 40000 to which my response is, no, the hot market is why the price of the house is high, not how, much, how we're going to split the 40000 that you can't save that 40000 without my mother being the buyer, and she can't save it without you being the seller. So he agrees. He says, okay, we can split the 40000 2020, but we have to subtract it from the market price. It's like, yes, I'm prepared to pay the market price. And we look around, there were five other houses that were sold on that very street in the last six months, because it's a real estate development. So we could figure out the price per square foot, do the adjustments, and lo and behold, we had a great deal. And then, having agreed to split the pie, we found other ways to make the pie bigger, such as we both hired the same lawyer. And so we didn't have to duplicate legal fees and save another $2,000 in the process. That's interesting because usually or often or they, whoever they are, say don't share the same lawyers. I mean, that's what you hear where you, you, mm-hmm. because then you're going to they they can't uh, you, you might not get a fair deal. So you need to have different lawyers um, very yeah. often. You hear that. Yeah. Well, so it's a simple cash deal. And we both instructed the lawyer to play it down the middle. It wasn't that it was our lawyer or his lawyer. It was a third-party neutral lawyer who saw both of us as being his client. And she bought the house? She bought the house. Now, there were other parts of the pie that we also could think about splitting, which is she didn't have to move. So she didn't have to pay a moving van, and she didn't have to do the psychic cost of moving. He didn't have to repaint the house and fix up the carpet and update the appliances because my mother was happy with the ones that currently were there. And so, again, that's value creation that exists only because of this deal. 
Okay, value creation, and it's not always or it's not necessarily about the money. Okay, you also talk about in the book, like when you're negotiating what to reveal and what to keep hidden. Um, mm-hmm. Give us an example of that. Well, in this, even in this case we had here, we revealed what the aspect of the pie was. It wasn't so much that it was a secret, but we talked about the fact that, yes, our BATNA, our fallback was buying another house. Yours is going to another buyer, and it's $40,000. So we don't have to keep things secret. People think anything they say can and will be used against them. But in fact, actually, that's not true. So let me uh, turn the tables and ask you a, uh, a quick question. We have Al's and Bob who have a negotiation that must end by Friday at 5. If it doesn't end, if it doesn't conclude by then, there's no deal. But it turns out Bob has a secret deadline of Wednesday at 5, and Alice doesn't know it. Should Bob reveal this to Alice or not? Well, I, <laughs> if I were really honest, I'm just sort of personalizing yeah. this. I'm always one to keep the secret, keep things hidden, not put all your cards on the table kind of stuff. So, um, well, I, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah. And I think, by the way, you're the, yours is the standard answer. This is what my students yeah. will say. Exactly. But here's the thing. What is Alice's deadline? Well, she thinks it's Friday at 5, but actually, if Bob can't reach a deal by Wednesday at 5, neither can Alice, because she needs Bob to do this deal. And so, essentially, they have the same deadlines. They're in this symmetric position. And so if you get to Wednesday at 4, Bob is going to be sweating, and Alice has no reason to start making concessions. So, therefore, I think Bob should reveal this deadline, because his deadline is her deadline. And say, look, I've got some bad news. We really only have to Wednesday at 5 to close this deal, so let's stop messing around and get cracking. That's a great did example. Did I persuade you? Yeah, well, you, I think you did. Oh, you would persuade me more if you can give me another example of that because I think that this is definitely a, an issue a big issue when it comes to negotiating keeping secrets not putting your cards on the table that kind of thing so put that in another right. context well try another one you are selling a gas station and your goal is to take a sailing trip around the world and that's kind of a frivolous goal, but it's something you've always wanted to do. Uh, should you reveal that or not to the seller? Uh, sorry, to the buyer. To the, to the buyer, yeah. Uh, well, just generally speaking, that I might reveal. I might, yes, that I might give that information. Um, I'm, I'm not okay. sure. Um I wouldn't necessarily think that that would hurt me uh, and or that it mm-hmm. would influence the our negotiation uh, because my thinking would, I mean, I don't have to go around the world. It's not something, I don't have a deadline really. It's like you're saying, it's sort of something <laughs> frivolous, something, you know, I've chosen to do actually, that I can choose so not let's to. Give, let's, let's put some pressure on you. Okay. You actually have bought a boat. You've sold your house. You're living upstairs above a garage. You have boat payments due. Uh, your spouse is going to leave you if you don't make this happen. So there's a lot of pressure for you to take this trip. 
Yeah. Well, then I haven't made good choices. I can tell you that if I put myself in that kind of <laughs> a position, true. right? So yeah. uh, I, I'm not sure the next choice would be good either. I, I then I I don't think that I would reveal all of those things. Yeah. I might yeah. gradually reveal some of them, but putting myself uh, that mm-hmm. I I wouldn't reveal everything. Okay. How's so, that? Well, let's take a step back. The buyer knows there's some reason for you selling, and there are good reasons and bad reasons. A bad reason is there's a leak in your storage tank, and the gas station is about to become a Superfund site. Not a good reason for selling the station from their perspective. They're closing the highway exit ramp, and so all of the cars that were going to your station aren't going to go there anymore. From the buyer's perspective, your wanting to take a trip around the world is a great reason for selling the station. Now, one of the lessons I teach is that you want to give the other side what it is they want. Not because you like them, but because if they get what they want, you can get what you want. And in this particular case, that means you want to put the seller on the boat. And how do you do that? Well, you might ask questions like, hmm, you're a young man. Uh, It's great that you want to take this trip. Tell me. What are you planning to do when the trip is over? And what you'll discover is that the person doesn't know. They say, well, I'm going to need a job when I come back, and I'm going to need a place to live, and therefore I put in my budget a $75,000 reserve fund. To which you can answer, oh, well, you're a great station manager. Can I have a job waiting for you when you return? Can I give you a loan against your boat when you come back so you won't have to sell the boat in a fire sale? and therefore make more money. And essentially, once I understand what the person is trying to achieve, I may be able to help them achieve it without necessarily giving them more money. Barry, but I so many of my students you, will say, I, I'm planning to retire. They'll obfuscate, they'll tell a white lie, and then having done that, the buyer won't then say, oh, then can I give you a job? My question is, can the average person, after reading your book, be able to you know, incorporate all of these you know, I guess you have, in the end, 45 takeaways from the book. If you're able to, like, really hone in on them and incorporate those into your psyche, you will be able to negotiate in in the kinds of examples that we've been talking about during the show. Absolutely. Look, do I think you're going to get perfect? No. It takes practice. On the other hand, people right now are paralyzed. And and, uh, (laughs) call it a day. I'm sorry? I said, can I fire my lawyers and call it a day? No, I I like having people negotiate for me because you can be too close to the situation. Uh, And I think you really want your lawyer to be a counselor in the true meaning of the word counsel, as opposed to your attack dog, if you'd like. Um, But you need to have a different mindset when you go into negotiation. People often think the negotiations uh, are all zero-sum. Uh, but besides the fact that you have the potential to grow the pie, if you don't reach an agreement, you can both lose. So poker is a zero-sum game where the more I win, the less you win. But one thing that could happen in poker is somebody comes in and steals all the chips, and we both get zero. And in negotiation, if somebody feels they're being treated unfairly, they'll do no deal rather than a bad deal. And the end result is both sides will lose. 
Can so you tell you us about your negotiation with Coca-Cola when uh, you purchased when you purchased Honest Tea? Because obviously that was a big negotiation for you. Tell us about that. Sure. Um, so it was when they purchased Honest Tea, a company that I had started with my former yeah. student Seth Goldman, uh, and you know that's every entrepreneur's dream to get the call from Coca-Cola, but it was also a David versus Goliath situation. They were literally 2,000 times our size. And we both recognized that we had to be bigger in order to really fit in to the Coca-Cola network. So they agreed that they would buy us in three years. And during those three-year period, they'd help us with distribution, with manufacturing, with purchasing. But that created a problem, which is they said, look, um, we're helping you, but we don't want to have to pay more because we're helping you. And therefore, this was the time, the first time that the Pi framework came out of the classroom into the world. What I said is, great. So here's what we should do. We believe we can get to sales of X without your help. If we do better than X, that's because you helped us. So you should pay full price on sales up to X and half price on sales above X. It's true we couldn't have beat X without you, but you couldn't have beat X without us to be the vehicle to help. And we agreed on that framework in the first hour. That's, and then, after agreeing in the first hour, then how long did the continuing negotiations take? I took another week, but just like the case with my mother and the house, it was a data-driven exercise. So in my mother's case, it's what were the other houses that had sold their square footage. In this case, it was... What were the other deals that had been done? And what was the market price for those deals? What was our X? What is it that we could achieve without their help over the next three years? What new markets were going in? What was our growth rate? How was our growth rate changing? What was the new products we were bringing to market? And so it turned the negotiation into a data exercise as opposed to into a back and forth uh, fighting what's fair uh, and uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, and I think most people would go into or a an entrepreneur would go into that situation. I'm dealing with Coca-Cola, I'm dealing with Google, I'm dealing with these huge companies. I don't have a chance. We have to be tough. We have to be I, I think that's somewhat of the mindset which you're saying really doesn't work and isn't necessary. Uh, absolutely and we had negotiations with other companies before that where they fell apart because the companies just didn't have the right mindset. In one particular case, the CEO of a tea bag company told us that if we didn't sell to him, he'd crush us like the tea leaves in his bags. And it's like, really? <laughs> so not only do we not think that was true, but is this the kind of person who we want to sell our baby to and have in their care? And the answer to that question was no. So, uh, Understanding how it is, why we're having this negotiation. Is it, uh, it's because to create something better than what we could do on our own. And by focusing on the fact that we can beat X, whatever X is, we could talk about ways to work together. And those were all positive conversations. We don't have that much time left, but I know you do also uh, in the book discuss three party negotiations. Now, that was. Uh, a two-party negotiation. What about when there's a third party? Does that change things dramatically? It changes what the pie is. It doesn't change the notion of splitting the pie. 
So now if A and B are negotiating and they fail to reach an agreement, well, will A go with C? Will B go with C? Uh, what, will, what will end up happening in terms of the fallback uh, stories here? And what's complicated is that it, just as it's hard for the three parties to reach an agreement, can they really agree about what they're going to do if they can't reach an agreement? And so because of all the possible permutations of A, B, C, D, and more of different fallbacks or no agreement agreements, uh, it makes life much, much more confusing. But nonetheless, the pie is still the question of what these two parties can do better than any other two can do on their own. So it's that overall attitude or that overall uh, attitude that all three parties come into the negotiations with. Okay, a couple minutes left of the 45 takeaways. That's a lot of takeaways from this book. And and the book is really easy to understand for the layperson, which I'm assuming it was written for. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So do you think this is going to have a radical impact on the way people negotiate? Politicians, That's why I wrote it. Yeah. yeah. To, ch- to change the world. But uh, people are desperate for a better way to negotiate. And people who are smart, who are empathetic, who are kind curious become jerks when they negotiate because they don't think there's another way to do it. And if we can help people be their true selves, they can use their natural qualities, their natural intellect, curiosity, and empathy, and become much better at it if only they had the approach and the principles to use in their negotiations. Yeah, I think that's well said. And as a social worker, I, I sort of bring it more down to the individual and family. And I'm, I have in the past particularly dealt with a lot of uh, divorce cases. I think I mentioned that in the beginning of the interview and family mm-hmm. feuds and, you know, money and uh, all kinds of things. And this sort of fits into that obviously fits that kind of negotiation that you're talking about. Uh, splitting the pie really fits into, into that um, uh, sure. situation as well. well. Yeah. Well, the pie that a couple creates is, if you like, in terms of income, uh, what is the one partner able to earn when the other partner stays at home? And how much more was created through this marriage compared to not having the two of them coming together? And a lot of people don't want to recognize how big that pie is when it comes time to having to split it. Barry Neil Buffs, it's great talking to you today. Very interesting topic, uh, obviously uh, very timely. Split the Pie is the new book, a radical new way to negotiate. You can buy the book. You can also listen to it on Audible. Uh, give us a website or websites that we can go to for more information about you, the book, and your other books as well. Splitthepiebook.com has an introductory chapter, videos, a negotiation bot you can practice with, and uh, all sorts of other links. So uh, thank you today for making a big pie with us, with the world. It's all good. Great. Thanks, Barry. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 